Psalms. And I want to read to you a scripture. If you have your iPhones, turn with me. <laughs> I waited all morning to say that. Uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and look at verse 3. The last one, one, two, three, five, the last five words of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. And if you're looking at it, read it with me, or we'll, I'll read it for you. The comfort, the God of all comfort. Say it with me. The God, come on, everybody. The God of all comfort. That's a pretty good God, isn't he? The God of all comfort. Right now, every one of you in this room knows somebody that's passed with COVID or this morning, the announcement of a 79-year-old dear brother went to be with Christ. I'm 75, and I think, Wow. What would I do if I knew I had four years left? Now, I'm 75, but I'm going on 50, and 50 is the new 30. <laughs> and if you're in the Common Core, I'm 21, baby. And looking good, because now, look here, look here, look here. Those of you that know me, I have a nose now. Isn't it nice? It's a boy. <laughs> they made me a nose at Brook Army Medical Center, operation number 50 through 60. I've had 10 surgeries in the last four and a half years. And, and I'm up to 60 now. I don't like to keep count, except that I don't want to hit 75 because then that's one a year per average. But this is the facts. They made me a nose, eyelids, lips. They made my lips better to kiss you with and release my neck and I can turn my head better. Because technology today learned out of the suffering of the warriors that have been blown up by IEDs, they figured out how to make eyelids and rebuild lips and make noses. They built my nose on top of my head. And then transferred it down. It's crazy. I got pictures. I won't show them publicly. Make you throw up. It really is horrible. Horrible. But if you're interested, after service, I'll have my phone at the table. And, uh, and you look, really, I'll, I'll be glad to show you if you've got a strong stomach. But I have a nose. And you know what? Some of you didn't know it maybe. But uh, in 19, well, 48 years ago, about 48 years ago, I did my first passage through a big airport at Dallas-Fort Worth. And children would scream and hide behind mama's skirt and look at me and scream, mommy, what is it? It was so embarrassing that I started negotiating with my bank and I bought an airplane. And for f almost 50 years, I had my own aircraft business. I bought and sold Learjets until I could own one without having to make payments. The church never bought it. You didn't even know it. I, nobody ever knew because I didn't want it to be something that would be spoken of. But I did not want to be seen in public Unless I'm doing what God called me to do, I can stand before you with no face and be comfortable. And I do look so much better today. And you that know me and love me know I've come a long way, baby, from the first time we met. It's been a huge help. But I was so ashamed to be seen. I would hug the right wall in those big airports. And in the airplane, I took the F seat. It was on the right with the window. If you've flown, you know what I mean. Because windows... And walls don't ask embarrassing questions. And so often the guy sitting next to me would look at me. If I didn't get that right seat, he'd say, what happened to your face? He was sugged. I said, what happened to your mother? <laughs> you know you're ugly when you're born. They slap her. <laughs> so I bought and sold my own airplanes so I could never fly publicly. Four and a half years ago, I got a nose. So I sold my aircraft business. And I fly commercial. And I hate it. I hate it. Now they say, hey, Brother Dave, I saw you on TBN, or I saw you on Good Morning America, I saw you. I said, well, uh, hi, I'm glad to see you, but not, not, not now, picture's not now, please. 
And it's really difficult, but I want to tell you what, yesterday they canceled, they canceled the airplane we were on to come here. And I didn't have my own airplane. Now I do have another plane, but it's small just to go to the ranches that I work with, that, that I work at for our military. It's just a small twin engine plane. I, could, I didn't want to come in. I want to tell you something. The devil didn't want me here today because I'm bringing a word that's going to be vital to the sustenance and substance of Christ in your life. I have a word from God for you, and that word is comfort. And I want to read the scripture of the God of all comfort. Not some of, lots of, most of, say all. All comfort. Who, verse four, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any, same thing as all, trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted unto God. That's a lot of comfort in one verse, isn't it? And I thought comfort was poor little guy. There's a word in Spanish, pobrecito. Some of you know Spanish, don't me? I translate it as poor little boy. Pobrecita, poor little girl. Oh, in life, just eat worms and die. Well, you got it backwards. You die and then the worms eat you. How's that for comfort? There's a picture somewhere of George Washington, not president, but general George Washington, helping a shot up wounded soldier back up on his horse. And the caption says, the general or General Washington comforts the soldier. I thought comfort was taking him off the horse, putting him on a stretcher, tell them how bad they're hurt and then pay them something for the rest of their life. That's comfort today. I can prove it. In 1969, on the bank of a river called the Vam Cote in the country of Vietnam in the jungle on the border with Cambodia, a sniper put a bullet through the back of my hand and then exploded a grenade six inches from my right ear. A grenade called phosphorus, it burns at 5,000 degree Fahrenheit. People said, boy, aren't you glad it wasn't fragmented? It would have blown your head off. It was 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit, so blow it off, burn it off, whatever. I'm not supposed to be here. As surely as that airplane wasn't gonna take me yesterday, that grenade said no tomorrow, but God. Say it with me, but God, the God of all comfort, the God that gets us through. And so I, I thought it would be important to really find out what that word comfort actually meant. And I'm going to read it for you because I think it's really cool. The God of all comfort, not pobrecito, not poor little guy. By the way, my, the reason I can quote you a little Spanish, that was my first language. I didn't speak English until I was six years old. My mother was invalid because of my birth. It almost killed her. She lived to be 70, curled up in a fetal position for decades in a, in a nursing home. She was 60 pounds with a feeding tube when she died, 68 pounds. When I was born, she couldn't nurse me. She couldn't hold me. She couldn't handle. So I had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio. She taught me how to roll my R's. And my first language was Spanish. At six years old, they said, you have to learn English. And by the way, you're not a Mexican. <laughs> it blew my Hispanic mind. <laughs> I fused out. I burned out. The, I, I couldn't get my head around it. They said I cried for two weeks because I found out I was not what I thought I was. 
Self-discovery is a terribly difficult moment. And I hope it takes place in hundreds of lives in this great cathedral today. Because if you can come to that moment of discovering you're not what you thought you were, I'm not the man I thought I was. I'm not the woman I thought I was. I'm not the kid I thought I was. When you find out you're not what you thought you were, but you can be all things through Christ who strengthens you, this will be a banner day in heaven and earth. And it's going to be, put your hands together if you believe that. God's going to do a great miracle in many lives in this house today. I'm not the man I thought I was. I had to have escort up the steps because my brain and my feet don't communicate. It's kind of like a bad marriage. They don't talk. Why? Because I took a terrible injury, not only in Vietnam in 1969, but in 2010 in Iraq. When I jumped out of a helicopter, my feet went out from under me wrong and I hit the ground so hard I broke shattered six vertebrae. They had to put in 12 screws and two rods just to let me stand again. Look, I can do it. I'm a half inch taller than I used to be. I don't know if that's good, bad, or ugly. Well, it's more ugly than good or bad, I guess, but here I am. But I have to sit to talk because they get, they did all right on the nerve damage, but cutting through the muscles, they never stopped cramping. So when I stand too long, they cramp up. So I have to sit, let the muscles relax, and I can stand again. Why am I telling you all that? Because I'm not the man I used to be physically, but the soul of Dave Reaver. And my soul prospers. And the prayer by John for Gaius was, I pray that your physical man can prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now, if I get my body to catch up with my soul, I'll be running the aisles of this church. Stay with me, listen to every word, how I formulate each sentence. Pay attention because God's speaking to people in this room. Today is your delivery day. Today is your life day. And I'm going to comfort you because here's the definition of comfort. Are you ready? Persuasive discourse, stirring address, instruction, admonition. And I think it's very important to hear the last one. Powerful oratory in discourse. Wow. Where's that poor little boy? Where's that poor little girl? Instead of taking you off the horse and putting you on the stretcher, I'm asking you, Get off your stretcher. Get back on your horse. You're not dead yet. We've got something left to fight with to give the battles now. Come on, give it up if you believe in what I'm saying to you. That, that is instruction. That is powerful discourse. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it because illustration is better than words. You see, when I was injured, I was with the Special Forces of the U.S. Navy. You've heard of Navy SEALs. I was not a SEAL. I was assigned to SEAL Team 1. I was a brown water, black beret. It's a four-letter definition. We worked not on the big blue water ocean. We were in the little canals of Vietnam, some so small. Our boats, 11 feet wide, 30 feet long, would scrape the brush on both sides of the boat at the same time. How do you turn around when you get into combat with it? How do you fight them when they can jump on your boat? And they've done that before. Cut the throats of guys that were drifting into those little narrows and drifted off to sleep at the same time and lost a whole crew because they went to sleep on the boat, went to sleep on the job. I'm gonna tell you a little secret. I'm here because God had a plan for my life and there wasn't a devil in or out of hell big enough to pluck me out of the hand of God. 
I am not here by accident. I'm not here by luck. That day, when that sniper squeezed that trigger, he was doing the work of all hell and the enemy against me. But God was bigger than a 7.62 round of an AK-47 traveling through the back of my hand and detonating that grenade, which took out the, everything not covered was third degree burn from my waist up. What's covered was second degree because my head shadowed this side. But my skin, my clothing caught this skin on fire, but it did not go to third degree. It went out quickly. And I only lost two layers instead of three layers of skin. It grew back without grafting for the most part. Everything not covered, down to the bone. And you are seeing what's left. They took skin from all over my body to rebuild me. They found skin on my legs to rebuild 90%. But they told me, we found skin on your body that is a cosmetic perfect match to your face. And then they told me where they found that skin. <laughs> the buzzer went off. Not. They said, why not? I said, because people won't know if I'm coming or going. And I'm not going to ask you to kiss my face. There's something wrong with that. And if you're a really strong Christian, you're going to love what I about to say. If you're not a believer, you're going to think it's even stupider. My doctors and I were playing tricks on each other all the time. I have three layers of skin put on me over recovery time. One layer of skin was first taken off of pigs. It's called hemograft. If you're in medicine, you know what I'm saying is true. Hemograft is animal skin. So they put pig skin on me, but my body would not grow pig skin. It rejected it. The second layer level of skin, weeks or maybe months, I, I never timed the distance of how long that skin before rejection would be on my body. The second was cadaver skin called homograft. Homograft. That's when they take skin off a dead body and they give it to you. And the dead body is a gift to medicine. I've donated my body to Brook Army Medical Center burn ward. So they get all my organs if they want them. And that's because I don't play the piano. <laughs> Y'all are quick. Actually, I do play the piano, but I'm not going to get into that. And they, this guy gave his skin. He was a sailor. The third level is autograft, not autograph. Autograph is signature. Autograft is your skin. They took skin off my legs, as I said. But on the hemograft, the guy that gave you skin was a sailor. And he had a tattoo. I've never had a tattoo, but once. They took his ship tattoo and they put it on me. It was so cool. And when I woke up and they set me up, they put it on my face. I was ship-faced. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Pastor's not here. I can get by with that. You know what? I don't just try to be, I don't tell jokes. Life to me has so much humor. I'm about to tell you something. You'll be the first to hear it in this church today. I said it to Pastor Tim backstage. You're going to hear it for the first time. I've never said this to anybody. I lost my baby. I lost my sweetheart. A few weeks ago, your dear pastor and his precious wife had ripped from their very body of my body, flesh of my flesh, 
their 27-year-old precious daughter. Flesh of my flesh went down that aisle in a box. The soul of my soul was ripped from my soul. When we united marriage, we became one soul. It was ripped from me. 54 years almost, not counting four years of engagement. She was 13 when I asked her to marry me. She was, she slapped me. I was 16 years old and she thought that's too young. She said, I'm only 13 years. I said, but you have the body of a 14 year old. She slapped me again. That's all. It was a very difficult start. <laughs> Counting engagement, 58 years. The only woman I ever loved, the only girl I ever kissed, the only girl that I ever gave my soul to was ripped away from me. Yesterday morning, God took my broken heart and he healed <laughs> He healed it yesterday. I laughed all day. I didn't cry. It was, you say, Brother Dave, you got over it? I don't know how to get over that, but I can tell you this. He healed my broken heart. I was happy I couldn't shut up. I talked all day. Dave and Kathy were saying, shut up. Don't talk so much. I talked. I was laughing. This morning, I woke up happy after eight hours of sleep. I can't believe it. I had... There's a healer for the broken hearted. Look, I'm not crying. I'm not emotional. I'm allergic to this carpet. Y'all got to understand that. I'm so happy to be here to tell you, look at this example. Yes, it is healed today after almost one year, just a few more days, it'll be a solid year. And the Lord has healed me. I confess my healing publicly today in the house of God. Oh yeah. And he could have done it sooner, but I'm a slow learner. You see, the military took me off my horse and they put me on a stretcher and they had a convention of doctors that convened, <laughs> convention of conventions. And they came to the conclusion in this medical board that I was, are you ready for this? 240% disabled. How in the world does that happen? I'm almost twice and a half not. They, what they do, they took a tape measure and they measured every square inch of damaged tissue that would be scarred. Then they counted each finger that doesn't work. See, they don't work. The thumb over here was actually blown off. I didn't even have that. Actually, it was there, I had it, then they broke it off because it was just charcoal and they just broke it off. I watched them do it, they threw it in the trash. I watched them do it. I can't hitchhike in England. I tried, got to have a thumb. They thought I was shaking my fist at them. I tried a different finger, they tried to run over me. Don't go to England. They, each finger had its disability and they were different percentages because of value. And when they got to the thumb, it was real high because it's the most important of your five digits. This one was hanging by a tendon, turning in circles, and I was pumping blood out of an open artery on the bank of the Vamkote River on the border with Cambodia. These two fingers were laid over backwards, hanging by skin. 
The only finger left attached was this one, the only one that works. They added up all my disabilities, no ear. It's plastic. It fell off when I was preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle and they all got saved. It was really a lot of fun. True story. Very true story. My hair was blown off in Vietnam. I got it back. There's a bald guy in China. Not everything out of Wuhan was bad. I was blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. That's <laughs> okay, except chasing across church parking lots is very embarrassing. And a dog brought it back. And he brought it to me. How do you know it was mine? I was with another guy. He, my question when I get to heaven is, God, what is life? No, 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 no. My question is, can dogs tell if you're bald? Sounds like foolishness, but it's not. I'm laughing. I'm happy. I am who I am by the grace of God. I want to show you something. I told you a moment ago, you, nothing better than illustration. See, here's all the percentage of disability all added up. See these fingers that don't work? What's this? What is that thing? Microphone. What is that? That's a crippled, disabled hand. And the and the Veterans Administration said I'm 240%. The Navy said you can't be 240%. You can't be more than 100%. I said, where's justice in that? Pay me for 240. No, they pay for 100. But they said, but you're permanently, totally disabled and unemployable. What'd you call it? A mic? What'd you call that? A crippled hand? What'd you call this? A mic stand. What'd you call that? A preaching finger. Don't tell me I'm unemployable. I have a job. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a mission, a job, and I'm employable. Don't let the world identify who you are. You are called by the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let the world label you. When they say no, you say yes. When they say yes, you say no. When you can't, by their terms, you can do all things through Christ. Don't let the world say you are what you aren't. Let God say who you are by his power and grace in your life. Give it up for Jesus. If you believe that, put your hands together. So that day in Vietnam was a bad day? No. Difficult, awkward, hard. Oh, it was painful, but not bad was not a bad day. Romans 8, 28 disproves all those bad day theories. All things work together for? Say it. I can't hear you. Good. To them that love God, one, and two are called according to his purpose. You gotta have them both. You love him and you're called to his purpose. Well, if you love him, you're called. And the fact is, I can do all things through Christ. And I had a difficult day but I can live when the devil says you're gonna die. And I wasn't sure I wasn't dead because I've never been dead before. So what is dead? I don't know. I don't know what's on the other side. Exactly, I have a little, I, I mean, we peek through, the, we see through the glass darkly, but we don't see it clearly, but we see, we know it's over there. We can see movement, we can't identify it, but we know it's there. And the older you get, the better you can see through it. The old Welsh brethren used to pass each other with a greeting, kind of like us today. Hey, what up, dog? You know, that kind of stuff. They passed with, have you been to the thin place lately? Thin place? 
I don't go to Jenny Craig. What's the thin place? That place where you kneel every morning and you've rubbed the carpet thin or your jeans have holes, not designer holes, desperate holes of praying on your knees before God till you've rubbed it thin. Or that thin place that you've rubbed in the veil between life and death. And the older you get, the thinner it gets and the better you see. I'm telling you, there's something on that other side. I'm so anxious to find it. I don't want to die to get there like most of us, but we'll take whatever we get. And I'm going to tell you today, take comfort in knowing there's more than just this life alone. The comfort is you fight this battle to the last breath, the last moment. And on July the 26, 1969, I fought to what I thought was my last breath. I thought I was dead until I looked down and I could see my heart beating. And if my heart's still beating, then I'm not dead. But with every beat of my heart, I'd squirt out a shot of blood out of my right wrist where the artery was severed by shrapnel. All these fingers dangling. I couldn't see my face because it's blown off. No, I saw my face on my boots. I had no reason to believe I would live except a childhood scripture I learned every day when my dad would give me a swat on the behind, send me off to school, quoting a scripture. I had to quote a scripture every morning. I had, had to learn a scripture every morning before I went to school. And I didn't like it. I didn't want it. I, I didn't like it. I had a drug problem when I was a kid. I was drugged to church, drugged to school, drug everything. And here I am, drug into the Word of God. I didn't want to learn it. At a childhood age, I was learning scripture that on the bank of river in Vietnam would come to me and give me life. Let me tell you what it said. Philippians 1.19. I remembered when I learned that scripture. I was only supposed to learn that scripture. I learned so much of that chapter, it stuck with me. When I was on fire, dying, this is what I played over in my head. Verse 19, chapter one, Philippians. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You can't kill a Christian. You just get them where they're going quicker. I was in a win-win situation, and I knew it. But he said, I'm betwixt. He said, I'm, I, I'm between two decisions. One is to go be with Christ, which is far better, or to remain to be with you. And you know his choice. He said, I'll stay. He got back on his horse, off the stretcher, and even in prison, Paul wrote the greatest letters that have ever been written by human hand to this day. See, the battle's not over. The war's not over. Sometimes we feel like we lost a battle, but we'll always win the war because greater is he that's in us and we're more than conquerors. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yes. Helicopter landed and picked me up. They rode me on the stretcher. They thought I was dead. 
They roll me on a stretcher face down. The fire that was going through me by gravity, because phosphorus burns over a period of time, has to burn itself out. Water won't extinguish it. I'm laying there. Gravity's pulling it through me. They turn me over, not knowing it would save my life. Now gravity's pulling it out of me. I set the stretcher on fire. Ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> Couldn't do anything right. They roll me up in wet blankets, put me on another stretcher in the helicopter, and away we go. I have not mentioned pain. I did not feel pain from the explosion till I'm actually in the helicopter ascending to go to the nearest field hospital. That's when the pain hit, and it hit with a vengeance. And I let out a scream. I said, medic, and he who thought I was dead almost died himself, jumped almost out of the helicopter. The pilot lost control, true story. We're dropping like a rock, and I thought, okay, Lord, now I get, we're gonna crash, and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> they got me to Saigon, and then transferred me. There's so much to tell, and their time just won't permit, and I've gotta be careful. They got me to Japan, not on the helicopter, but they wrote, prepared me for a long trip to Japan, and that's where I was supposed to die, out of the country so I wouldn't be called killed in action. I would only be killed, but not in action. <laughs> Duh. In Japan, I did the dumbest thing. I asked for a mirror. They did the dumbest thing. Yeah, they brought me one. And they held it over my face, and I looked up with this eye I could still see with. And what I saw took my memory back to what I remembered on the bank of the river and now reminded of in this hospital in Japan where I was supposed to die. They'd already read my last will and testament. And the thing that I'm gonna tell you is one of the most remarkable gifts from God. As I was standing at the airport called Love Field in Dallas, Texas, before I boarded the plane that would take me to a living hell on the other side of the world, a little teenage wife looked at me and she asked me this question. Davy, are you coming back? I remember kissing the tears off of her lips and I can still taste it today. I said, maybe I'll be back without a scar. Why did I say that? I could have just said, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California, make movies and chase girly, whatever he did. I'll be back without a scar. And when I said it, I felt a chill up my spine because I knew I just made a promise I couldn't keep because we had already been informed. We were, our team had the highest KIA, killed in action, per capita of any special ops team in the war but you can't prove it. Because if your body goes down with those little fiberglass boats, they go up in smoke. When they're hit, they, their fiberglass hit with army tank weapons. B-40 anti-tank rocket propelled grenades blow up fiberglass boats into white powder, literally. They go down with the boat. If they don't get a body, even though they know you're dead, you're not KIA, you're MIA until they get your body, missing in action. And we did not have enough bodies KIA in us into the top ranks of killed in action. So here's the bottom line. I knew when I said it, she would not get back the man she married, dead or alive. On the bank of the river, when I saw my face on my boots, I knew I broke that promise. Now I would see in a mirror 
a broken promise. When they walked away, it broke my spirit. And I tried to kill myself that day. If you don't have a gun, if you don't have a knife, you can't get handfuls of pills, all your meds are administered through an IV. How do you kill yourself? You pull that tube out. I pulled out my intubation, ripped it all off. I laid my head back and I waited to die. And I got hungry. <laughs> Wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled lunch that day. That was not my life dripping on the floor. That was my lunch. They fed me through that tube. <laughs> the doctors, oh, you know, you have so many orifices in your body. They made new ones for me that day. They ripped me open. They were so mad at me. They said, we're trying to save your life. You're trying to kill yourself. We're just going to send you home, which was a death sentence because they put me on that plane. I wasn't physically strong enough for that. And they knew that. That was my punishment. We're going to send you home. I was pleased with that because I knew if I died, they would not open that casket. And that promise would still be in effect. She would never see that I came back scarred. That was my only hope that I could get in that casket and she would never see that broken promise. They sent me to America and I fooled them all. I lived. They landed me at Lackland Air Force Base and transferred. I got pictures of all this it's on my phone. It's crazy to have this documentation. They got me on a heli helicopter, flew me over to Brook Army Medical Center at Fort Sam, put me in the burn ward. I close with these two moments in reverse order, chronologically. They put me in the ICU, the intensive care unit. We called it death row, 13 of us, we were all supposed to die. They kept us in there so we wouldn't discourage the other patients. That's the truth. Everybody died but me. The 13th obituary has not yet been written and the way things are looking, it might not ever be written. Amen. I got a little bit of a thumb there. They put me in that room and they let visitors come in. The first woman went to the bed next to mine to her husband, 100% third degree guaranteed to die. Took off her wedding ring, threw it on the bed and said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. And she walked out. He died number one, first one to die of the 12. Next visitor in round robin, it's me. It's my bed. The next visitor comes in, teenage girl, and there lays her husband, and the doc said, that's your husband. She said, no, it's not. I read her lips. She stood by my bed reading the chart, and she said, this is not Dave. I heard with my ear. I knew it was over. I looked at the tubes. Which one do I pull? How do I get this right? They're not labeled. Suicide tube, coffee with cream tube, hamburger. You don't know which is which. And before I could make a decision, she's standing at my bed saying, this is not him. The doctor moved her to the head of the bed. She looked into my face. Someone said, the eyes are the windows of the soul. She looked into one window and she saw furniture she recognized in this little house, this charred, burned house with a dead soul. I had no hope because I knew this girl could not love a freak and a monster. And she looked at me and she said, Doc, this is Dave. She recognized me through looking in my eye. And she said, 
I just want you to know when she bent down and kissed my burned face, I just want you to know I really love you. Welcome home, Davy. I got to tell you, when she says, Davy, I said, Doc, I'm getting better. He said, no, you're not. I said, baby, I'm sorry. She said, why? I said, because I can't ever look good for you. She said, Davy, you never were good looking. <laughs> Y'all are cold. <laughs> we laughed together. I laughed my way out of hell. And I will laugh my way through those swinging pretty gates because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I got it back yesterday morning. Yes! I am not an old story. I'm not an old soul. I'm not something of the past. I am here. I am now, and I'm your future of hope. If I can make it, you can make it. Don't tell me we can't do this together. I'm not one whit better than you. In fact, I'm a whole lot more difficult for him to deal with. That's why he kept me alive till he could finish the project. I worked for Billy Graham for almost a decade. Every time he would walk up on that stage, he went straight to Brenda first. He would say, Miss Brenda, I love you. How are you? If he got around to me, that was fine. But I got 15 to 20 minutes to tell my story in his great crusades. It was one of the great moments of my history. I never saw a more humble and dedicated man, and he taught me so much. And I can tell you today, I cannot get to heaven on the tales of Billy Graham. I can't make it to heaven because since January, I've read the Bible through four times in 14 months, word for word, from three o'clock to seven to eight o'clock in the morning, three to four to five hours every morning in the word of God, unbroken. And I found out, God spoke to me, this morning, you can't make it to heaven because you've read the Bible through four times, word for word, in 14 months. That's not going to get you there, Dave. And I had just read this scripture. You think you have eternal life because you read the scripture because you know scripture. But the scripture points to whom gives you eternal life. Don't substitute Bible reading for a fellowship and relationship with Christ. Don't substitute prayer and say, well, I prayed so many hours. It doesn't matter. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Don't tell me your victories until you can show me your relationship. Your works are meaningless without faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. No matter how many things you do, no matter what we do without faith, we cannot please God. No man will see him without faith. If it's not of faith, it is sin. You mean you can read the Bible and sin? Yes because reading the Bible is not a substitute for a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the more you read the Bible with an open heart, the more you come to know Jesus Christ. The written word takes you to the living word, both capital W's. When you know the living word, you've got a great day coming ahead. Amen, come on, one more time. Let's give it up for Jesus. I gotta quit, my time is up. Could I get by with three minutes and 50 seconds? You reckon? Thumbs up, Pastor. I have a little video I'd like to show you. 
because I'm not going to share the last event. There was another event, but it would run a little bit longer. I can tell you this, whatever you do with your life, I'm stuck. I've got, I've got to share this. Can you give me just a couple of minutes? Folks, I beg you for just a little time. I tried to plan it right, but then I got all excited. You clapped too long. It's your fault. I told you there were two events, reverse chronology. Let me tell you the first event that took place that led to Brenda giving me hope back in that room. When I landed, they took me to Brook Army Medical, so they put me in a Hubble tank in a room called debridement. The Hubble tank, and I have pictures of this. It's a big bathtub. You can put rub, rub, dub, three men in a tub. It's big. And it's got about eight inches of water. And when your body goes in, it displaces the water. And as you're laying, it'll come to about here on your face. Not enough to get in your nostrils and mouth. And then they splash this water on your charcoal body. You heard me. I told you to listen to every word. Pay attention. I'm not going to repeat after this. I'm going to say it once for time's sake. They splash it on me. Then they break off all the dead. And what's not able to break off, they take scaffolds and they fillet you and you're alive and you're awake. They can't give you enough drugs to put you to sleep because if they do, you, it'll kill you. Because they do this twice a day, every day, for a month or so, until they, depends on how much third degree, till they've skinned you down to just raw flesh and no dead skin. Dead skin will kill you. Be circumcised spiritually or that dead skin will kill you. I said it once, pay attention. It hurts so bad you go insane, literally. Temporary insanity. Her hair was a little longer than the other five nurses working on me. Six of them, three on each side. I reached up and tangled my fingers. No thumb, I tangled my fingers in her hair and I flipped her into that tank and I got her face down trying to kill her because my brain snapped and I thought she was trying to kill me. I'm fighting for my life. The Darwinian survival, instinct for survival took place. Five others were there. She was never at risk. They had her out, but now my skin is in her hair and her white uniform is pink with diluted blood. It's a story I've told even in this church over the years. Some may remember it, I will tell it. That's why I was compelled to beg you mercifully for a few more minutes. They took me out of that tank and put me on a stretcher, a gurney, and they were rolling me down to the ICU, which I found out later meant when they put the robe on you, it doesn't come together, it's the ICU. Very embarrassing. <laughs> when I learned what the army draft really is. <laughs> Pay attention. They had me on a stretcher, gurney, and the medic said, push me on this, this gurney with a wobbly wheel like a Walmart shopping cart. It's making me angry. Rattle, 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 and I'm hurting with pain. And he said, in the morning at 8.30, we're gonna do this again. He shouldn't have had Orton have said that. I looked up off that cart to him. I said, now you, the army is, the entire army's not big enough. Put me back in that tank. That sounds like a lot of bravado, doesn't it? But would they put a dead man in that tank? No, I had control. I was still master of my own destiny and that's a problem. When you're master of your own destiny, Jesus is not. He's the master of the ship Zion I'm on, not me. He's Captain Jesus. Pay attention. I was still suicidal. I had not yet seen Brenda. I had not yet got my hope back. I was still in that dark place that someone, someone's in this room are in right now. There are some of you in this room, as I'm speaking, 
You've lost loved ones. You live in a world of panic and a pandemic. You're scared to death. It's dark. Everywhere you go, you're in fear. You're about to be delivered. This is your life day. This is your life day. I looked at him and said, you and the army's not big enough. He said, then you're going to die. I didn't want to hear that anymore. And I wanted to hear that wobbly wheel. I said, well, then let's make a deal. I said, if you're going to put me in that tank, don't tell me. Surprise me. He said, what? I said, you put me in the tank. I didn't know I was going to be in this morning or you would never put me in that tank if I'd known. You see, I was still in charge. They got me down and all the anxiety attacks I knew were coming because of what he said kept me awake all night. Next morning, 8.30, down that corridor to hell, I heard a wobbly cart coming announcing the arrival of the death angel on a blue-draped gurney. They put it beside my bed and they made it a near-fatal error. They forgot to lock the wheels. And they got on each end of the bed when they were gonna swing me over. The bed separated at the foot end and the guys trying to hold the bed and hold me dropped me. And my feet went down between that bed and when they hit, it jarred my whole body. I had my elbows out. I'm holding on to the bed and the gurney so my whole body doesn't fall. And as big a change as finding out I wasn't a Mexican, I would go through another change right there, right then. He was six foot seven, 350 pounds, solid muscle when he moved cannonballs, popped up on his chest, his arms, his shoulders. He was a giant. He was bald. He was black. And his name was rosy. <laughs> Honest to God. Jesus, my, this is not one word made up. Christ is my witness. He had a tattoo right there named Rosie, so he could look at him. My name is Rosie. He could remember. He put an arm under the back of my head like a forklift and another arm under my body. I was a weightless, I was, I was a featherweight. He turned, no gurney for Rosie. He carried me down that long long corridor to the place we called hell, lowered me into the thing we call the pit. And when they tore into me, it hurt like hell itself. I reached up and as I was grabbing for hair, they said, he's having, he had enough. I said, yes, he's had enough. Rosie come and I looked over, the arms of that giant were folded. That beautiful ebony skin had streams a fire of tears reflecting the rising sun through that morning window. His lips were moving. Rosie was praying for me. Strength flowed into my body. He picked me up out of that filthy, miry, bloody water. They wiped all the dead skin and blood off of him and off of me and he turned in again, no gurney for Rosie. That's like a title of a good book, doesn't it? He turned and he carried me all the way back down that long, long corridor to the place we call death row. I couldn't get out of this cycle of pain and death. As he lowered me onto the air mattress and extracted those forklifts, he turned and he faced me. I looked up into that face, that auburn face, into those auburn eyes that I had not seen before. And, and I think I saw Jupiter and Mars and sun and stars. Does that sound stupid? No. Who was this Rosie carrying me? He bent down and he kissed my forehead. I never let a man do that. He turned and walked away and I'm baffled. 
as a muffler. I'm laying there thinking, what just happened? Now, it's almost over. 20 years later, I'm in a place called Redmond Field, Oregon for the Air National Guard, 4th of July. Extravaganza. 20,000 people came to hear me speak. That's a great crowd. When it was over, a lady walked up, very beautiful, dressed in a fine business suit, salt and pepper hair. You're Dave, she said with a question. I said, yes, I am. She said, that's your nickname. Your real name's David. I'm thinking, well, it's not Bartholomew. <laughs> she set me up, I'm thinking. She said, but that's your middle name. Whoa, I bet most of you didn't know that. She said, your first name's Milton. I said, yes, who are you? She said, I'm the nurse you pulled into the tank 20 years ago. I was so sorry. I said, madam, I don't think I ever apologized. I'm so sorry. She laughed. She said, I thought it was you. I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> now that one got my attention. We laughed and then I remembered Rosie. I said, do you remember a guy named Rosie? She said, yes, he had a tattoo. I said, that's him. What was his real name? I'm looking for him. She said, I don't know. I said, do you know where he is today? She said, I don't know. I said, you know where he came from? Maybe he's there. She said, I don't know. I said, when did he come to Brook Army Medical Center? She said, I know. When you came. When did Rosie leave? She said, when you left. My friends say he was an angel. Kept around about me. If he's an angel, he's on an assignment, and that's awesome, but that'll make me a better man. But what if he was a man on a mission? He didn't have to go. He wasn't sent by the commander. He went because he chose to go. He carried me where I couldn't go. On the way back, listen carefully, from the pit to death row, as he carried me, listen to the words he said, You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. Here's my closing remarks. I didn't come here today because I think I'm a good speaker and I try to be a good speaker. I work at it. I'm not here today because I think I'm good looking. You've already heard that exposition. I'm not here today because I'm your best choice. No. I was sent here. I'm not went here. I was sent here with a word from God of comfort. Here's my comfort. This is what I do. I was sent to all these places in the world to bring hope to a hopeless military. To stop these suicides on active duty. They won't even tell me the number today. It skyrocketed during COVID. I'm sent because I have a word of hope. But I want you to hear me. Today, would you be a Rosie to somebody? Would you carry them where they can't go? Would you speak those words of encouragement they need to hear? Would you love those that hate themselves enough to kill themselves? Would you be a Rosie? Be a Jesus in the flesh. It may be the only one they'll ever see in a pandemic nation with panic. Be an island of peace.